0: I watched them put my body onto the operating table, and then I guess I blacked out, I don't know. The next thing I remember, I was in a room, and I could see my grandmother, who I knew was my grandma because I knew my grandma when she was alive, and another woman, and they were standing around what I described as a well table.
1: My guest today is Julie Northway, who had a near-death experience during a difficult pregnancy and met her deceased grandmother, amongst other people. Julie, welcome, and thank you so much for coming on the show today.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Julie, could we start with a little of the background of your life and then tell us what happened during your NDE? Yeah,
0: Um, I've actually had two near-death experiences. The first one was the 2007, and the second one was, again, related to a pregnancy with my son in 2009. So I was in my 20s for the first one and in my 30s or late 20s for the second one. Before my first pregnancy in 2007, I was really very healthy. I didn't have any sort of issues. I was very active. And this was all very unexpected. The pregnancy started off pretty normal. And then went downhill really fast. It wasn't something that I was expecting to happen. That's a weird thing to say, right? But uh, I wasn't expecting to be dying in my 20s. I'm 42 now, so it's definitely affected my life and changed my perspective on how I do things. And I think I probably would have gone down a different path had it not happened. Not a bad path, but just different. So it's affected who I am and how I do the world.
1: Let's start with the first NDA they're fairly close together. Can you tell us yeah. what happened there?
0: So the first one, I was pregnant with my daughter, and about 21 weeks, I got an infection, and that it was MRSA, and that went septic, and I went into septic shock. They had to do an emergency DNC on me, and during the emergency DNC, I flatlined. And at that time, I, from what I remember of what happened before my near-death experience, I was taken to the operating room and I remember screaming, but I couldn't have been screaming because at that point, the infection was in my lungs, so I couldn't breathe without assistance. So I remember screaming at the doctors to not, because they were moving me around, right? They were moving me from one table to another and I remember watching them and screaming at them to not move my body. And then they obviously didn't hear what I was saying. And I was looking at myself, which I obviously couldn't have been doing, but it wasn't registering. Like, it it all seemed very normal. not normal, but it didn't seem like something was amiss. It just seemed like the doctors weren't listening to me. Once they moved me from... One table to another table. And it's weird because I felt the table was metal, the one they moved me onto, and I could feel it. I could feel the cold metal in my body, but I was looking at it, if that makes sense. I think, like, when you hear of phantom limbs and things like that, I've never had a phantom limb, but <laughs> when people describe that, that's the same sensation. And I watched them put my body onto the operating table, and then I guess I blacked out. I don't know. The next thing I remember, I was, I don't even want to say waking up because I don't remember being asleep. I was just all of a sudden there. And I was in a room and I could see my grandmother, who I knew was my grandma because I knew my grandma when she was alive, and another woman. And they were standing around what I described as a well table. So a coffee table. That's round, but if you look into the coffee table, light was coming out of it. So it was like a a circular well that light was coming out of that they were standing around. And it was two women so my grandmother and another woman who I didn't recognize, but who felt very familiar and very comforting. And I like to think that she's family, like she felt like maybe another grandmother that I didn't know or someone else. Or maybe my husband's grandmother. I don't know. But she was holding my baby, which who I just lost. And I didn't really understand or know that I just lost her. But the woman that was with my grandma was holding her in like a 1970s style blanket. Like the type of blanket that they used to put in hotel rooms in the 80s and the 70s. And so my baby was wrapped up in that blanket and she was holding her. And it was comforting and very like being with family the woman that i didn't recognize she was very broad and i like to compare to rosie the riveter and i don't know being in australia if that is a reference that makes sense but rosie the riveter was a a character that they used to use to promote war efforts at home she was like a woman that worked in factories right and she wore like a bandana and she was really strong and she would work in the factories and make, I don't know, airplane rivets for the planes that went to Europe. And that's the sort of the vibe I got from this woman, like 1940s tough lady or something like that. Not in a tough, beat you up type of sense, but tough as in a strong woman who was also very comforting. So we were together, we were communicating, but there wasn't talking. And I didn't question anything. I think that was the oddest bit is I just accepted everything as it was. It all felt very real. It was more real than this is real. And the conversation was going back and forth, but there just weren't any words. And it just made sense. We mostly spoke about my daughter because, and I've explained this to other people before, my my instinct, my maternal instinct was so on high alert. And I felt like I was still maybe one foot in the living and one foot there. And my maternal instincts were really needing to be with my baby. And they weren't letting me hold her. And they were saying that we have to be apart and that they were going to take care of her. But I had to go back. And I was having trouble processing that. And there wasn't a rush. It didn't feel like There was a time limit for how long I could stay there or anything. They were just saying, no, this isn't how it's going to work. You're going to need to go back. We're going to stay here. We're going to take care of her. And it felt like I was there for a really long time. And I wasn't taken away from them until I could be, if that makes sense. So we were there for a long time. It was really beautiful. It was really comforting and it was almost like waves or pulsations of comfort and it was just i don't know how to almost like an echo of comfort and we didn't leave the room we were always in that and it wasn't really a room because there wasn't a ceiling like it was more like a cave with a well in it and it just it's just where we were and we didn't leave that place until i was taken away but we were just there together, being with my daughter, not allowed to hold her, but being with her, being told that it was going to be okay and they were going to watch her and that I needed to move forward. And I wasn't given a why I needed to go forward. I wasn't given a why I couldn't stay there. It was just, this isn't what you're doing right now. So I'm just going to pause there, see if you have any questions, because then they took me out and I'll get into that.
1: What I have is, when you say they didn't tell you why you had to go, did you actually ask, why can't I stay?
0: No, I didn't ask too many questions. I was very demanding. I was more like, I'm going to stay. And they would be like, no, you have to go. Sometimes people have asked me, what questions did you ask? Or did you get answers for this or the other thing? I didn't care. All I cared about was my daughter and being with my daughter and what I was going to have to do to protect her or make sure she was protected. Like the questions of the universe or the whys I couldn't go or things like that were not on the top of my list. So yeah, it was more like, I'm going to stay here with you. And they would be like, no, that's not going to (laughs) happen. So it was, and again, with all the love, it wasn't demanding or angry or anything like that. It was just not what was going to happen.
1: So they basically waited until you were okay to go, and that's when you went. But there wasn't any pressure to go. Yeah. You just knew that we were gonna have to. No, at some and
0: point. it was, and just I've heard other people say this too. Time didn't really exist, so it wasn't like that. That feeling of you have until noon, or you have until the sun sets, or whatever. There wasn't that. There wasn't that ticking, time bomb. So. It felt like I was there with them for a very long duration of time, even though I did have to go at a certain point.
1: Okay. I assumed that at some point you came back and what was your experience like of coming back?
0: So what happened was when it was time to go, another person, another, I don't, he didn't feel human. I don't know what he was. He came into the room. He was wearing a long coat, like a trench coat, and he didn't really have facial features. But he wasn't scary. He wasn't like, when I say he didn't have a face, people are like, ah. But he wasn't frightening. He was, again, very comforting. And he came in and communicated to me that I had to leave with him. I left with him. And again, I blacked out, or I had the same sensation anyways that I had between the operating room and the room with the well. It was the same sensation. I was with him. He said we had to go, and I blacked out, and then I was just in another place. And this place was much bigger. It wasn't like a room. It was when they say your life flashes before your eyes. It was like that, except it was a landscape. And instead of seeing images of places I've been and things that I did, I saw structures like on a landscape. And each structure was built by relationships I had with people. If for my husband, for example, for my husband, there was a really strong structure and it had this radiating light and it was very big and complicated and because we've been together for a long time and there's a lot of love there. Um, So it was this grand structure. And then for people that might have had like a smaller piece of my life, a teacher that I had in kindergarten or something, it might have been a smaller structure, but still glowing and still beautiful, or maybe a little bridge or a little cottage. And then people that I've been cruel to or were cruel to me, there was like dark, crumbling, not radiating structures. So it was like a landscape of these magic Legos, that some were glowing, some were dark, some were grand, some were little, just little bridges, like anything you would see, but made out of these blocks. And every one of them we sort of looked at and explored. And again, time didn't really seem to matter. And each one of them introduced me to the relationship I built and the connection I made in life. And how that's reflecting on the other side. So this is what you did with your life. Here it is visually. This is what your life looks like in the grand scheme of things. And the things that I did in my life that mattered were just connections I made with other conscious things. It wasn't a degree that I got or a job that I got or a place that I visited. It was all people connections. Pretty much. There might have been some animals in there, I can't remember. But for the from what I understand, it was human connections that I made in life and how my behavior and my effort and interactions positively affected those people and how their interactions positively or negatively affected me and how that sort of reflected on the other side. So we just explored that and explored those different types of structures for, again, like a long time, even though it's, it didn't feel long. <laughs> and every time I mention time, whether it's in the room at the well or here, it's more we did a lot than it took a long time. So we went through all those structures and we accomplished a lot of things. But the idea of it taking a long time wasn't really a thing, if that makes sense. So after we had gone through this sort of what people call a life in review and looked at all these structures, he took me to a tree, like a huge tree that was moving and like breathing. And you could see like the tree growing and it was going top to bottom and the branches were growing out and some of the branches were breaking and falling to the bottom And the roots would pull those branches back in and pull it back up into the tree. And it was just like this circular cycle of this tree that was moving and growing. And the branches were breaking, falling down, going back up and growing. And he stepped back, the guy with the coat, and encouraged me to move forward. And I walked up to the tree and I reached out to touch it. And then I blacked out or whatever I was doing again. And the next thing you know, I was in the recovery room and the doctor was saying that they almost lost me. Yeah, that was the end of it.
1: The tree, I'm fascinated mm-hmm. by the tree. It is like you had a, an experience that made sense to you in terms of the way that your life was reviewed and it's a pretty common theme like the life review, but my understanding is it's really tailored to each individual person and almost how their mind works. So that part makes sense. But the tree is interesting as how there was a cyclical nature to it. Did you have any idea of why they took you there to show you that other than, oh, this is just something that's really interesting? Did you get a sense of that?
0: Whatever it was is what brought me back into the living, right? I think. Right. I don't know for sure of any of this, but because once I touched it, I was back. But the whole concept of it felt like we're a family, basically everybody. Everyone's related at some level. And we're all part of this organism, the single organism, and we all live our lives and then we die and then we get pulled back up into it and reinvented and are another part of this single thing. So that's how I interpreted it. He didn't tell me what it was or anything. It was really more of just what came from inside of me. And that's how I saw it. Like, I'm sure something in my life connected me to it or made it. So that was something that I understood. But it was, it definitely was showing sort of life and death and that death really isn't the end of life, but part of it. They're both part of each other, right? They're both feeding into the same thing that in this case looked like a tree. So
1: after you came back, that must have been hard. What was that like?
0: Yes. I lost my daughter, so I was a wreck. Mm. That, On top of that, I had also lost my own life, and I didn't know how to grasp that. I wanted to be with my daughter. I, I was put in counseling and things like that. I was often asked if I was suicidal because I would want to be dead, but I didn't want to kill myself. I just wanted to go back to where I was with my daughter, And it was hard to communicate that without sounding like I wanted to kill myself, which really wasn't the case. It was a very difficult couple of years, lots of depression, lots of just wanting to be back there with her and not feeling that I was in reality because that place was so much more real and vibrant and like colors were different and things just it seemed like i had woken up when i was there and now i was back asleep and i just wanted to be awake again i ended up having two more children which have made my life obviously completely more worth living and made me understand why i needed to come back because if i hadn't come back they wouldn't exist and they're such an important part of who i am and I'm sure they'll affect the world in a way that will change other people's lives, too. But until I had my son, I really struggled with sort of day-to-day and finding meaning in, like, mundane things throughout life. But it's hard. I don't know if that's because I had a near-death experience or because I lost my daughter. Like, it's, it was other people I've spoken to that have had near-death experiences come back and feel... Sometimes they have a renewed sense of life and they try all sorts of different new things and go places and meet people. Others have depression too, but I definitely feel like if I hadn't lost my daughter, it might have been a different story. I might have not gone into as deep of a depression. I don't blame the near-death experience for the depression. I blame more that I lost my daughter.
1: When you were having the life review with the structures representing each of your relationships and interactions, you mentioned that they were all to do with relationships. They weren't really to do with things that you accomplished or anything else. Did that change how you felt about what you wanted to do with your life after you came back?
0: And yes, it definitely did. I definitely focused more on the people in my life, my family. I cut toxic people out faster. I have... Stronger relationships with people that I love and who love me back and have these connections with. My goals are more family oriented. I was always very, I was like the A student, the teacher suck up, the person that always did that. And same college and then my career, it was the same thing. I was moving very fast. I was always going for the promotion before I probably should have. I was. I think at the time, in 2007, I was traveling 80% of the time for work. So not fun travel, boring travel, and just those sorts of things. And then after it happened, I stopped the work travel. I still love traveling, but just not two hotels. <laughs> and, uh, and I, yeah, when I had my kids, I, everything I do is in somehow, even the things I do for myself, somehow it winds back to my kids. And I think a lot of mothers, probably that's the case. But um, for me, I don't think I had as much of that in me before I lost my daughter and my life. And now the connections I make with them are strong compared to even compared to like my husband and my parents. I feel so connected to them that they're just incredibly important to me. My life And my goals are really much more about my two kids than about going for promotions as fast as I can or things like that. So, yeah.
1: Do you feel like you have a more balanced life now?
0: Definitely. Maybe almost too homey. I've left jobs that didn't have, like, work-home-life balance type things. And I don't take jobs that don't offer that sort of world of availability. I save money. I don't want to sound like I'm throwing money away, but if there's something I can do with my kids and like I have to throw out the idea of buying an expensive outfit or shoes or something, I definitely spend it on my kids. And again, I think a lot of mothers come to this conclusion, right? A lot of people that have children and love their children end up doing this with their children. But this, my reasoning for it is just what I saw on the other side. And other people might have other reasoning for it. But I think ultimately when people have kids, they know that for their internal happiness, they want to make their children happy. And my husband too. My husband and I have a fantastic relationship. We've been together 23 years now. And I don't know. Of course we fight. Of course there's things like that. But he's just so important to me. And his role in my life and our relationship... And what it's meant to me over the years has just been really important so i put more of myself into that and it seems to work
1: i find this very inspirational this when i started this channel i didn't really know what was going to happen i just wanted to be able to tell people's stories and, and yeah bring awareness to people but yeah this is a oh it's a it's a conversation that's bringing something out to me and making me realize how important children are and relationships are and how some other things are perhaps not quite as important right and especially especially that at some point they 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 grow up they get old they don't want to be <laughs> they don't want to be yeah. anymore.
0: and they have their yeah. own children and need to put their whole selves into that potentially they're not going to be able to put all of their energy and relationship energy into me they're going to have to put that into their partners or their children or their community that they put together for themselves that's important oh. to them. And I'm sure that's going to hurt. They can create their worlds, and hopefully that'll expand mine as well. And yeah, that'll be oh. something. And even outside of just children, all the relationships in my life, like just trying and it's impossible to help everyone and it's impossible to be like this perfect person, but just trying to be present enough most of the time to be kind to people and to not create these rotten connections and these negative pieces of life that you dwell on and think about and kind you know, create crumbling structures in the afterlife. Yeah, just try to keep people reasonably respected in this life. And when you can't to cut that relationship off quickly and move forward and not dwell on it, I think is that important.
1: Okay. So your second ADA that, try that again, your second NDA that occurred a couple of years after your first one, could you tell us about that?
0: Sure. This one was much less dramatic. I was getting prepped for a C-section with my first son. So this was the first pregnancy after I lost my daughter and I had a reaction to the anesthesia used in my spinal for the C-section. The reaction stopped my heart and I flatlined again. The doctors did compressions on my chest to get me going. And basically what I saw is I felt swept out of my body and I was watching the doctors chaotically rush around the room and the one doctor get on top of me and do chest compressions. and. They all, I've told this to people before too, and I always feel weird saying it, but they all looked like Russian dancing bears, like spinning around the operating table. And it was all very like a circus, like a weird circus. And it wasn't negative. I certainly didn't go to some loving, wonderful place like I did the first time, but at the very least it was entertaining. And yeah, I watched everything happen. The interesting thing about that one is when I came to, when I woke up, the doctor was on me, so that was a little scary. But once the doctor was off me and I was back to realizing what just happened, I felt amazing. Like It felt like I had fallen and something terrible happened, but then someone lifted me up and I was completely fine. Like I felt ready to have that C-section and better than I had felt in a long time. And it was really good. And they sent me to the ICU the intensive care unit after to have my heart monitored to make sure I was okay and I was just like in a great mood the whole time and I was talking to the nurses and everything and they were just like okay she's fine but it was I was in a really good mood after in that second near death experience.
1: It's like you got energized while you were
0: (laughs) in the other realm. It was Yeah. yeah it was like I got a zap of something and was able to come back to and it was good because obviously the situation wasn't great because I was getting a c-section it was like an emergency c-section so I hadn't been feeling good and then all of a sudden I was fantastic so it was all worth it
1: so have you had any changes in have you had any special abilities that you've acquired that you might call you know some people might call them paranormal it doesn't really Um, like to call it but anything like that has happened
0: So I've told, again, I don't know if these are abilities because they could just be dreams. I don't know. But uh, I do have dreams with people that have passed over. And it's always in the same sort of place. It's always in a room. I can always tell it's one of those dreams because they have a flower. Like they're either wearing a flower or they have a bouquet of flowers or they're wearing like a Hawaiian shirt if it's a guy. But there's always a flower and there's always some chairs to sit and talk. And it's just sort of like a visit with my grandpa, someone I see a lot, some of my husband's relatives I see, and I don't know who they are. And then I explain them the next day and he'll say, oh, that's my Uncle Chuck or whatever. And I've had these, I often have a lot of them right before someone is about to pass away. And yeah, and those are... I don't like to share those because they're hard for the people around me, but I usually see like people getting ready for them, like their brothers or their mothers or whoever had passed before them are preparing things. And I'm there standing around in the way and they're like, oh, we're getting this party together for so-and-so and and, a celebration. And yeah, they usually pass in the day or two after that. And that's, I don't know. It's comforting to me, but I know it's probably not to some other people. I don't like to bring that up to family that often. But I also see a couple times a year, I have a dream or something where entities like the man in the trench coat come and they ask me a bunch of questions, usually about aging and dying or generations. So, oftentimes they'll show me like a mental image of my grandma and then a mental image of my mom and a mental image of me and ask me to explain like how they're different people. So like we see one woman here. Are they different women or are they one woman? Are they the same person or are they three different people type of a thing? And then I explain to them that Like in generations, like your blood passes down. So you're sharing the same blood, but you're different people with different consciousness. So again, I don't know if it's a dream. I don't know if it's real, but it feels like that same, those same colors that I saw when I was on the other side, the same sensation, the same feeling when I have those dreams.
1: And each time that occurs, do you have a different understanding? Do you have a different answer to that? You no,
0: know, it's usually always the same and they're always different entities. It's almost like training time or like, like oh, these guys are the angels in training or something. And they have some questions for you as a living thing. And I, I, again, I don't know if they're angels. I don't know what they are, but they're always, it's always like a different group. And they come and they ask me questions about what it's like to be alive So like this, but the other way, (laughs) yeah.
1: Speaking of questions, people are probably going to want to ask you questions after this interview. Mm -hmm. Do you mind people contacting you?
0: So I don't do this as a thing. Like I don't have a book or a website or anything, which makes it a little tough. I have my email address I can give to you. And if someone reaches out and really needs to talk to me or has some question, I'd be happy to talk to them.
1: And if somebody's super keen, then I'll pass them on.
0: Excellent. Um, Also, I love the word keen, and I wish we used it in the United States more. And I've been actively trying to push people to use it. (laughs) Super keen as well. Yeah. (laughs) Great word.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I use it a lot. Okay, any final message for people who might be watching this, Julie?
0: Just that this was what I experienced as far as what I could observe and feel and see. I don't know what's real and what's not, but it felt very real to me and i don't know maybe other people have different experiences what you said based on your understanding they show you what you need to see in order to process everything hopefully people that have similar brains that work like mine might be able to connect with this but i don't think any of us all have all the answers but i can definitely share what i experienced and hopefully that'll bring some comfort to somebody else
1: julie thank you so much for coming on the show I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's made me think about some things that I hadn't realized before. So thank you for that and I appreciate your time.
0: That's great. Thank you so much for being up very early and talking to me or very late or however you wanna say it.
1: Oh, you're welcome.